Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Susan Jabinski talks top stocks from winning managers. David Harrell and Travis Miller talk utility stocks. Christine Benz and Susan Jabinski give you your April financial to-do list. And Carol Hedorowitz and Catherine Lynch discuss inflation's effect on our paychecks. Let's get started. Here is Susan Jabinski from Morningstar, Inc. Each quarter, we take a look at the top holdings of some of the best money managers around today, who we call our ultimate stock pickers. Today, we're focusing on the three top holdings among this fine group of investors. First up, Apple. Apple adeptly packages hardware, software, services, and third-party applications into sleek, intuitive, and appealing devices. That allows the firm to charge a premium price for its hardware, unlike most of its peers. As such, we think Apple has carved out a narrow economic moat. Stocks with economic moats have durable advantages that should allow them to fight off competition. Although we think the company's recent stretch of double-digit revenue growth will be difficult to maintain, we remain positive on Apple's ability to extract sales from its base through new products and services. Next is Microsoft. Microsoft has transitioned from a traditional perpetual license model to a subscription model. Today's Microsoft is a cloud leader that can deliver a wide variety of solutions at scale. The company is focused and offers impressive revenue growth with high and expanding margins. We think Microsoft has carved out a wide economic moat. We assign shares a $352 fair value estimate. Morningstar's fair value estimate represents the long-term intrinsic value of a stock based on how much cash we think the company will generate in the future. And lastly, there's Alphabet. Alphabet dominates the online search market with Google's global share above 80%, generating strong revenue growth and cash flow. We remain confident that Google will maintain its leadership in the search market. Google recently announced that it's acquiring Mandiant, which will enhance its cybersecurity offerings. We think YouTube will contribute more to the firm's top and bottom lines as well. We think Alphabet has a wide economic moat and that shares are worth $3,600 a piece. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now, here is David Harrell from Morningstar Investment Management with Travis Miller from Morningstar Research Services. In the headlines today, we've seen a lot about inflation. And obviously, uh, in addition to the humanitarian crisis that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has caused, uh, we're seeing economic fallout uh, with higher commodity prices and supply chain disruptions that could potentially push inflation rates, which are already quite high, even higher. Uh, now, you and your colleague, Andrew, recently published a report on utilities and inflation. Can you explain why this sector is particularly vulnerable to higher inflation rates? Sure, yeah. We've had, like you say, a confluence of events here mm -hmm. that really nothing good comes of it when you're a utility. Inflation, higher interest rates, even the defensive nature of utilities, when you have an, a situation like Ukraine and Russia where it's hitting energy prices, that right. also is not good for utilities. So we've got uh, really, really a tough situation, both fundamentally and for investors right now in utilities. For inflation in particular, a couple of key reasons why utilities are really at a disadvantage when you have high levels of inflation. 
One is energy costs are a huge portion of the utility bill mm -hmm. for all customers. So as we've seen, one of the biggest drivers of inflation here in the last three months has been energy prices. Mm -hmm. To the extent that energy prices are flowing through customer bills, customer bills are higher because of energy prices, utilities make less money <laughs> on the portion of the bill that covers their capital operating costs. So that's one primary uh, disadvantage. The second and more fundamental basis is operating and capital costs are huge for utilities. It takes a lot of capital and a lot of people and a lot of materials to run the electricity, gas, and water networks in the U.S. and really worldwide. Mm -hmm. When we looked at the data, the average utility spends 70% of net revenue, so this is essentially gross margin, after yeah. accounting for energy costs, 70% of their costs are either maintenance capital or operating costs, materials, labor, and just keeping the system operating. So huge amount of capital and operating costs. When materials prices go up, when labor costs go up, that hits a huge portion of the cost structure for utilities and obviously hits earnings and ultimately the dividends. Okay. And um, as you wrote about it in the report, it's difficult uh, for utilities relative to other industries to pass those increased costs on to their customers. Yeah, the, the structure of driving revenue for utilities, essentially customer rates, runs through state and sometimes federal regulators. So the utility has to petition regulators, either at the state or federal level, to raise those rates. That becomes a much more political process when customers are seeing their utility bills rise because of energy prices or right. when utilities face higher costs because of higher material prices or labor costs. So it becomes a very political situation when you have customer bills going up and that's essentially what happens for utilities when you have high inflation rates. All right. And even if they're able to raise customer, raise their prices, it's it's going to take months to, to do so. There's no, yeah, these are these, yeah. these are long, drawn out, and again, political, contentious types of uh, really almost legal right. types of uh, t types of events that they go through when they're trying to request rate increases. So that's right. a key part of the utility analysis that we look at is how constructive is the regulatory environment in a given state okay. where a utility operates. But just in general, they don't have the pricing power that you're going to see. You can think about it as fixed revenues, essentially. Yeah. No, okay. It's not, not necessarily the exact case, but think about it that way in, uh, relative to certainly many other companies. Right. Next, Christine Benz from Morningstar Inc. and Susan Jabinski discuss your 2022 April to-do list. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski for Morningstar. It's April, and many taxpayers are wrapping up their tax returns or have done so already. Joining me to discuss how to end tax season on an organized note is Christine Benz. She's Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning. Hi, Christine, good to see you. Hi, Susan, great to see you too. So Christine, why is the end of tax season such a good time for us to organize those financial records? Well, it's because the pain is still fresh of hunting around for all these documents that you might need to file your taxes. And the other thing is that you've probably recently had access to some of the information that you need to get organized. So I would say as long as you've got all this stuff sitting on your desk or sitting in a close by file cabinet, you might as well take some steps to get it in good working order. 
And, you know, very often, I'm certainly guilty of this myself, you know, people do tend to sort of oversave their documents with the thinking, well, you never know when you're going to need it. Um, so can you give us a rundown of, you know, how we should be thinking about some of these documents and what we really need to keep and what we could either shred or throw out? Right. It's a good bet that many people are oversaving and a huge category, especially for people who receive paper documents from their investment providers is marketing materials, also annual reports, prospectuses, those things people oftentimes save. You really don't need to. It's very easy to access prospectuses and annual reports to the extent that you need them or want to refer to them. You can typically grab those online through your investment provider's website. So that's a big category that oftentimes these are big physically big documents that can really clutter up files. So you can happily toss all of those. What you want to pay attention to is tracking your cost basis. And the good news is there is that as of 2012, investment providers had to begin tracking our cost basis for us. Prior to 2012, the onus was on investors to track their own cost basis. So if you have securities that, you owe, that you've owned prior to 2012, you want to make sure that you have good documentation, that you've saved good documentation on your cost basis. So do a check of that before you begin chucking other documents. If you're saving trade confirmations, for example, just make sure that the trade is clear, that it matches what your investment provider has on its website. You can shred those documents generally once you've corroborated them with your own documentation. You do want to save up to three years of tax returns, um, not just the tax return, but also any supporting documentation that went along with that return. If you want to be extra safe, you can take it out to seven years, but there's no need to save tax returns for longer than that. And then you want to take care to save any very hard to replace documents, things like birth certificates, wedding certificates, uh, death certificates, uh, incorporation documentation. You want to save those in a safe deposit box or in a fireproof box that, that you keep at home and keep them under lock and key if you're keeping them at home. So, you know, speaking of documents, you know, a lot of investors have, of course, gone online and aren't receiving paper statements and paper documents. And then there are other people who, you know, haven't done it or have only gone part way with that. Perhaps maybe they're concerned a little bit about online security. What do you think of that move to, to digital documentation? I think it makes a lot of sense. I think the key thing that you want to check is that the documentation that you rely on and use to manage and monitor your own investments, just make sure that you can readily access that online before you say goodbye to the paper documentation. But there are a couple of good reasons to dump the, the paper delivery. One is that arguably, assuming that your security systems are up to date on your computer, your information is safer if it's not transporting through the mail. And the other key thing is that you may be paying a surcharge to receive the paper documentation because your investment providers very much want to stop sending you those paper documents. So I do think it's safe assuming that you've done the work to ensure that, that your software and that your computer is all overall safe um, from a security standpoint. 
And Christina, what sort of documentation should we be thinking about when it comes to our financial accounts and our relationships? Is there a sort of document that we should have that sort of warehouses all of that? Or, or what do you recommend? I love that idea, Susan. The idea of having what I've called a master directory, I think, makes a world of sense. And the basic idea is that you are setting out your various accounts, your account numbers, um, perhaps even passwords, individuals you deal with at these various financial institutions where you have accounts. You're documenting all of that. And it helps to keep track of your investments, um, can also help your loved ones uh, find out what you have, figure out what you have if for some reason you're unable to manage those accounts yourself. So I do think it makes sense for everyone to create just a simple spreadsheet and take care to password protect it, uh, to encrypt it because it does it uh, contains sensitive information, or if you want to print something like this out and have access to it, keep it in a safe place as well. Keep it under lock and key and also let your loved ones know of its existence. Well, Christine, thank you for your time today and for, as always, trying to keep us financially organized. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Susan. I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Lastly, Carol Hedorowitz from Morningstar Inc. and Katherine Lynch from Morningstar Research Services talk inflation. Is it just me or is my paycheck not stretching as far as it used to? No, it's not just you. Prices have been on the rise for almost everything, from groceries to transportation. The Department of Labor recently reported a key inflation tracker climbed 7% last year. That's the highest increase in almost 40 years. So what does that have to do with my paycheck? Well, it all comes down to something called purchasing power. When inflation's on the rise, but your paycheck isn't keeping pace, that means you can't buy as much as you used to. You've lost purchasing power. How do I find out how much power my paycheck has? You can calculate your real wage. Take a look at this chart showing inflation's effect on a $50,000 salary each year over the past decade. The pink bars represent inflation, and the blue bars are the real wage. What's real wage? Your real wage is your paycheck after accounting for inflation's effects. Take a look at 2021. You can see how inflation eroded a $50,000 salary to less than $47,000. This person's purchasing power fell drastically. Okay, so let me know if I've got this right. If I see a pay increase, I should be all good then. You might not be. People tend to see about a 3% increase in pay each year, but with inflation at 7%, that's not going to cut it. Is it going to be like this forever? The hope is that inflation will cool up this year. But you can calculate your real wage using the U.S. Department of Labor's CPI inflation calculator. Wait, who was that? That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances.
Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.